It's June. Communion means the first Sunday of the month, and the June series for sermons is called Good News. Isn't that, doesn't that sound good? It sounds good. It's kind of funny because the sermon's been preached like two or three times already with what Laura shared, some of the things Kathy said, and some of the things in the songs. I was like, this is so cool. Uh, so I'm done. Have a great lunch. And No, no, no. I'm just kidding. Um, I think that what the Lord is just doing is putting on repeat what the good news is. So we're going to get into it again. The Bible's full of good news. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, go and share the good news with the whole world. So this month, we're going to look at how to share the good news with our actions, with our words, and by participating in global missions. Have you ever asked yourself, though, what is the good news? Or how would I explain it to somebody if I was put on the spot? Don't worry, I've got the microphone attached to my head, so I'm not going to put you on the spot. But how would you explain it? What is the good news? We're going to watch a little video to help us get our mind wrapped around it this morning. Here we go. Hopefully this works seamlessly. Space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature. But here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So Think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out, and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice. 
and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? <laughs> yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus, and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Isn't that great? Yeah. All right. If you enjoyed that video and you want to check it out later, I made a shortened link for you to get to it. Bit.ly slash ndlink. N and D are capital, the rest are lowercase. So you can go check it out. You could also Google Bible Project Heaven and Earth and probably find it. So what we learned in this video, which I just loved, and it was also hilarious at points, wasn't it? The little guy diving from Earth to Heaven was pretty cool. <laughs> the little tombstone he jumped from. Okay, uh, we learned that God's space and our space have been separated by sin. And that 
Jesus is the solution to this separation. His death on the cross is a cleansing sacrifice that absorbs our sins and makes a space where we can be with God. And this cleansing work of reconciliation is on the move. It's going out into the spaces spoiled by sin to create pockets where heaven meets earth. And Jesus calls these pockets the kingdom of heaven. They pop up wherever someone pledges allegiance to Jesus, the king. So when you become a follower of Jesus, you're signing up to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and a servant of the king. You experience a reunion of heaven and earth in your life. You experience reconciliation with God, and you receive the promise of eternal life in a reunited heaven and earth after Jesus returns. That's good news, isn't it? Do you remember when you first heard the good news? When you first devoted your life to the kingdom? Think about it for a second. If you've never done that before, come talk with the prayer team after church or catch me and we'll pray with you to get you started on this journey of experiencing heaven on earth and eternal reunited heaven and earth. I'd love to do that. So people who live in the kingdom stand out like a bright light in a dark world. And that's part of God's plan. That's how these little cross pockets on the slide you see, how these little kingdom of heaven pockets come about. It's part of his plan. He comes to seek you out, to reconcile with you, and then he wants to use the kingdom life in you to inspire others to become a part of it. That's what we're going to talk about today. And actually this month, we're going to talk about it in three parts, like we said. This week, about how um, the good news is shared through our actions, how we live our life. Next week, Kathy will talk about how we can share the good news in one-on-one conversations. And then the following week, Pastor Cameron will talk about participating in global missions to fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world with the good news. So today we're going to dig into being a kingdom light in a dark world. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Raise your hand if you remember that verse. Matthew 5-ish, right? It says right on there. (laughs) The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, how you live your life, When you live it the way he intends, you become a hilltop city that everyone can see. He wants to put your good deeds on display where everyone can see what it looks like to become a part of his kingdom. Isn't that cool? Paul shares the same sentiment in Philippians 1 and 2. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine. You'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Isn't it interesting how Jesus and Paul both focus on deeds, on actions, on our conduct? 
In these passages, it doesn't say that our beliefs are a light in a dark world. It doesn't say that how well we can articulate Christian doctrine or explain what was in that video will be a light for his kingdom. It says our deeds are a light and our conduct shines like a star. Now, beliefs are important. If you remember, we merely talked about it in February. There's this whole thing about having ungodly beliefs and trying to get rid of those and align with God's truth. Um, in Paul's verse we just read, it said, hold firmly to the word of life. So beliefs are important. But what shines in a dark world is our deeds. Talking with people about our faith is also important. That's why we're going to talk about it next week. Um, so I'm not diminishing that in any way this week. But this week, what we're going to zoom in on is how our lives, the way we live, can open a door for people to hear the good news. It can be the thing that draws them in to meet Jesus. We'll get real practical about what the Bible says about how to live this kind of life, but we got to start somewhere else first. Ephesians 2 says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, and not by works so that no one can boast. So we know that good works don't save us. It's only by the grace of God and our faith in Jesus that we're saved, right? If you know that, say, yes, Bill. Okay, good. That's important. (laughs) Isn't it funny the next verse Paul writes to us says, for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in back-to-back verses, it hits on both sides of this coin. You're saved by grace, but those who are saved by grace do good works. They go together. The book of James points out that our faith is actually made complete by our actions. Chapter 2, verse 22. So grace and works go together in this kingdom of heaven life. Does that make sense? Good. It's a mistake to emphasize grace and neglect good works. A person who does this slowly drifts into a very ungodly lifestyle. They might think things like, well, I'm saved by grace, so I can just, you know, do whatever I want. You know, they're the diving guy from the tombstone to heaven at the end, like, I'm saved by grace. I'm just going to dive to heaven one day. But that's not kingdom of heaven living. That's not what Jesus came to do. Remember, he's making these pockets of the kingdom of heaven here and now. And so it's a mistake to emphasize grace and neglect good works. It's also a mistake to emphasize works and neglect grace. A person who does this will slowly drift into a legalistic religiosity, like the people Jesus confronts all over the Gospels. So that's also not kingdom of heaven living. So what we're after is works that flow from thankfulness and a personal experience of the saving grace of God. That's what we're after. And you know who says it really well? It's the pocket dictionary of ethics. Seems like a weird place to find a quote, but this quote is incredible. Um, I've got some excerpts of it on the slide, but I'll read you the full quote. What's that? (laughs) All right, what does the pocket dictionary of ethics have to say? It says that good works are conduct or actions that may be deemed good or morally upright. In Christian thought, such acts are motivated by love for God, flow out of the desire to obey God's will, 
and they're not intended as a means to merit divine favor or a means for personal gain, but are expressions of gratitude to God for the divine unmerited favor already received. And they are an integral part of the life of devotion to God and imitation of Christ. Finally, good works are not the products of human effort alone, but are the outworking of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of a mouthful, but it's really good. Get yourself the pocket dictionary of ethics, guys. So we're saved by God's grace is what it says. Then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to live to please him because we're thankful. We're thankful for his grace and because we've devoted our lives to him as king. So that's how grace and works work together in the life of a Christian. Grace and works work. Not even a dad joke. I apologize. I'll do better next time. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. So with that in mind, we can move forward, okay? I didn't want you to get tripped up. It's, it's right where if, if you've been um, around Christianity for a little bit and you start talking about living a certain way, those are just like two, two ways you can veer off the path and get totally distracted from the actual message, overgraced or over what's, uh, works, overworked. That was an unintended dad joke. Okay, so what does kingdom of heaven life look like? This is, oh, there's the other half of that quote I read you. Here's what the kingdom of heaven life looks like. This is a good place to start. The fruits of the spirit show up in kingdom of heaven living. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are kingdom of heaven qualities that pop up in the life of a Christian. In Colossians 3, that's found in Galatians 5. In Colossians 3, Paul adds to the list and repeats some of these. He says that you'll also find compassion in the life of a believer, kindness, humility, forgiveness, thankfulness, and he repeats love and patience and peace. I just wanted to talk about a couple of these. What do, I mean, what does it mean to live this way? So compassion means caring enough to stop and get involved when you see someone hurting or in need. Jesus did this everywhere. If you read the Gospels and just look for compassion, you're, you'll see Jesus does it at every turn. But maybe you're busy at work and you can barely keep up. Maybe you're really short-handed. That's a pandemic of its own, a pandemic pandemic or something. Everyone's shorthanded. So you're doing more at work to try to get it all done. But when you notice that someone's a little off today or they're feeling down, does compassion begin to create a kingdom of heaven pocket in your workplace? If it does, it's a shining light in a dark world. What about humility? Humility includes admitting when you're wrong and owning your mistakes and saying you're sorry. It's a big part of humility. It's not the whole thing, but it's a big part of it. When that's your normal mode of operation with your friends, with your family, or at work, it shines like a bright light in a dark world because it, the normal thing in this world is to 
you know, gloss over, hide your mistakes, to try to show your best self, to present a curated self on social media that seems so wonderful. So the world is, is not like that. They don't own their mistakes and say they're sorry for it with a heartfelt, Justin, I'm so sorry I said that. I can see that it upset you. Will you forgive me? That stands out. It's in stark contrast to the normal way of the world. And it makes people ask, what's different about this dude? Or what's different about this person, this lady, whatever. It's an open door for people to come to know the kingdom of God and want to find out more. How about forgiveness? One thing forgiveness means is you don't hold a grudge, even if the other person is. Um, This shines like a star in a bright world, and it may not change the other person involved in the grudge match. But most likely, there's people around that relationship watching it play out. And it's being a bright light to them. It's a city on a hill to them as they watch you forgive them, even if they don't say they're sorry. Treat them with kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and indeed (laughs) self-control when they're just keeping holding a grudge against you and treating you like junk or maybe trying to make you look bad in front of other people. And in my experience, if you, um, if you do this, if you offer forgiveness and you treat them with those fruits of the Spirit, you can eventually win back the relationship a lot of times. What else are they going to do but start being nice to you in return after a while? And that can become an open door as well. All right, now especially coming out of a world-shaking pandemic, Peace creates a very noticeable pocket of the kingdom of heaven, doesn't it? The last few years have rattled all of us, and there continue to be storms that rock our boats, that make a raging sea all around us, so to speak. But those who can process their emotions and their circumstances at the cross of Christ, work it out, and find peace in the midst of the storm really stand out. It's a unique, opportune time for Christians to create kingdom of heaven pockets of peace in this world. Um, And it it works. (laughs) Jesus, go figure, Jesus' plan works. Um, I know a guy who has a coworker that recently reconnected with God. And his primary reason for reconnecting, re-engaging with the Lord is the the peace and the contentment that he saw in the Christians around him. It, It said this is for real. So this is the kind of life God wants you to live, to shine from the hilltop with. And we're empowered by the Spirit to do it. It opens a door for people to meet Jesus. It's all part of the good news. We get to do it together. It's wonderful. But I got to talk about the flip side of the coin. (laughs) The opposite is also true. Every proclaiming Christian who is not filled with the Spirit and not living a kingdom of heaven life is also on display. It's just a fact. And people, this is a sad truth, people are being convinced every day that the kingdom of heaven is just an empty religion when they see that. 
kind of breaks my heart. And it stinks when you've, you know, when you've lived that out. I know I have in the past where it's like, man, that person never knew me as a kingdom of heaven pocket in this world. You know, you look back at relationships over the years or places where you just screwed it up and it's like, ah. And you just got to pray. That's all you can do at that point, right? If you screwed that one up, is just pray. God, send them a new light. If you're not still in connection with them, if you are still, you can do that humility thing and say, I'm so sorry. I wasn't living God's way in, you know, whatever the circumstance is. Maybe you can win them back. But it's sad that people are being convinced that there's really nothing to this Jesus stuff because they know people who say they're Christians, but they don't live a kingdom of heaven life. So there's a truth that if your life isn't coming more and more into alignment with the kingdom of heaven, it's coming more and more into alignment with separation from God. At the end of the biblical story, that's called hell. We said it in the month of March. If you're not practicing the way of Jesus, you're practicing something else. Remember that? One of my favorite guys to quote from is C.S. Lewis. <laughs> oh, I got to bring him up more often. That was a, a heartfelt amen. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. <clears throat> this is from the book, um, which was a radio series he did called Mere Christianity. He said, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God, others, and itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, others, and itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. Wow. That's why I like that one. <laughs> These words are a warning to protect us. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus, these words are to protect you. To live the kingdom life is to keep making choices in alignment with the kingdom way. If we do, we become kingdom creatures. And our lives shine brightly like we're talking about today. And if we don't, we actually push others away from the kingdom and we risk our own souls drifting away from it as well. So I want to take a couple of minutes. <clears throat> There's lots of lists in the Bible of like, hey, this is what kingdom of heaven living looks like. This is what non-kingdom of heaven living looks like. And I just want to hit on a couple of those warnings this morning, okay? Some of those hellish creature practices, as Lewis said. Um, they're just big ones, guys. I'm just going to hit you with them this morning. <laughs> the first is sexual immorality. This is all over the Bible. There's a consistent biblical message 
about what is appropriate sexual relationships and practices and what is not. Paul writes about it in both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Um, and what the Bible says is that all sexual activity outside of a marriage um, is outside of his design. It's not kingdom of heaven. His design is that one man and one woman who are married to each other would enjoy a sexual relationship. It's actually the first commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. He tells the first married couple to do that. You know? <laughs> so it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But outside of God's design, it's incredibly destructive. And you can't be in a kingdom of heaven pocket. Heaven and earth don't overlap when you do it outside of his design. So lust, pornography, and sex outside of marriage are sin, and they do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. God's design for sexual pleasure is that it happens within the marriage relationship and to create a bond that mirrors his bond with his people. That's what it's for. The next is obscenity. It's also in Ephesians and in Colossians, in those same sections where you find sexual immorality listed, you also find several different types of mentions about um, being obscene. The Bible says don't make dirty jokes. It says don't use obscene language. And it says that the words of the kingdom of heaven people will build up and encourage one another. That's kingdom of heaven living. Another one is drunkenness. Paul says it in Ephesians 5. He says, do not get drunk. There it is, just straight on, simple. You don't have to look up the Greek on that one, I don't think. Just don't get drunk, he says. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command uh, in Ephesians 5. And this last one, I'm going to call it pride or selfishness, but i got to kind of describe what I mean here. The world we live in today has this message it sends that you can find your own truth, that you should self-reflect, and then once you find your truth, you can design your own destiny, purpose, and identity. Have you heard that message in our world? It's really common, but it's not kingdom of heaven thinking. It's actually self-centered and not God-centered. It's the exact repeat of the original sin in the Garden of Eden, if you kind of break it down. Adam and Eve wanted to define good and bad on their own terms, so they took the fruit and they ate it. They wanted to be their own God. And that's the exact underlying thing in the message that the world sends today when it says, find your truth, live your truth, make your own destiny, purpose, and identity for yourself. It's just the snake saying, hey, that fruit looks good, doesn't it? But kingdom of heaven people make God their God. They accept his design for their destiny, purpose, and identity according to what's in the biblical scriptures. And people who do that find true life, love, joy, and peace in living God's way. So guys, if you're recognizing right now where you've been out of alignment with God's kingdom. There's a name for that. It's called conviction. It's actually an invitation from the Lord, though. It's not a good feeling. 
It's kind of like, oh, this feeling stinks. But it's a good thing to see where you're out of alignment. And it's a loving thing that God would show you where you're out of alignment with the kingdom of heaven. Because he's inviting you to come back into it or to come into it for the first time, maybe. He wants you to respond and he wants to create that good kingdom right in you. There's a picture of it. The response God wants is called repentance. Repentance means you own the issue. You say you're sorry. You receive his forgiveness. He washes you clean. Now that feels awesome. Much better than the conviction moment. Then because you feel loved, because you've been forgiven, because you're so thankful to God, you go and live the kingdom life. Remember the order we talked about? Grace and good works work together. Because of repentance and receiving his forgiveness, that then we can go and live the life he designed for us to live and be a shining light to others. And that process of repentance I just described to you, if you're a Christian, it's what you signed up for, my friends. You're going to repeat this thousands of times. <laughs> and that is what the Christian life is all about. Do you, do you believe me? <laughs> it's what C.S. Lewis wrote about, right? You look consistently, deeply at the choices you're making, and you go, is that choice making me more like a child of hell or a child of heaven? Is this creating the kingdom of heaven right here on earth by this choice I'm making, this thought I'm thinking, these words I'm saying, or the other? And when you see it's the other, you say, God, I'm so sorry. I want to be in your kingdom of heaven. Will you forgive me? And I want to invite others into your kingdom. I want to help spread your kingdom. And you get back on track. Repeat. Just put that on repeat. Like your favorite song in the car. Just over and over and over and over and over. Maybe you don't do that. Maybe you like variety. Okay, there's two traps to repentance I want to mention. And then Kathy's going to come in close. Um, there are two things that will just totally derail you from that wonderful process of becoming more and more like Jesus and experiencing more and more of his kingdom. The first trap is shame. If you feel the moment of conviction come upon you and you start to think, God can never forgive me. You start to think, I'll never overcome this sin. I'm not as good as so-and-so. I've failed too many times. Fill in the shame blank there. You will get derailed. It will eat you alive inside, and you're not reproducing the kingdom of heaven life anyway. It's totally unproductive. Don't go there. Jesus' cross is good enough to forgive any sin. All you got to do is own it. Say you're sorry and try again, even if it's the 999th time, even if it's the 9,999th time, you get it. Shame is a derailer. The other one is excuses or like rationalizing. If you get to the moment of conviction and you say, well, or maybe it's before, you know what you're about to do is wrong and you're like, God will forgive me later. I'll, I'll pray later. I'll say I'm sorry later. It's a trap. Or maybe you go, well, you know, my good will outweigh the bad. I'll make up for that one. Then rather than having true repentance, you're trying to like balance some scales of justice in the heavenly realm. That's, that's not the kingdom of heaven that we just learned about. Or maybe you're like, this is, I've given God so much. This is just one little thing I need for me. This is for, my, for me. 
that's not true repentance either. Sometimes um, it's explaining why you did what you did instead of just owning it and saying you're sorry or why it wasn't so bad or I had to do this because so-and-so did that. Even if it's a small part of the big picture of something that occurred, just say you're sorry for your small part. Say, God, I'm sorry. Yeah, all that other stuff did happen. He knows. <laughs> he knows it. He knows what so-and-so did to you first, and then you blew up at him. You know, He knows how they drove so poorly right before you flipped them off on the highway or whatever the thing is. But just say sorry for your part. Just repent. Oh, just receive his forgiveness. All right, so those are two traps I wanted to mention. Avoid the traps. Find your path to true repentance. Make little choices this week, this month, this year that bring about big transformation. They really do add up over time. I'm of testimony of that. And then go be a pocket of the kingdom of heaven in this world. Your lives really do shine brightly as you follow Jesus, you guys. All right, Kathy, would you come? That was really good, Bill. Um, and just as he was wrapping up with some traps, I was thinking, you know, maybe you don't have, I don't know, one of the big three, but have you judged in your heart? Have you spoken ill of someone? You know, sometimes our private thoughts can cause just as much um, change in direction as any of the big you know, outward acts that we do because our mind needs to be renewed all the time, right? So um, I just want to give us a moment to, to take, do inventory. <laughs> Let's take an inventory right now. So would you close your eyes and just ask God, you know, where in my heart have I chosen to walk a different path than you want me to? whether it be my thought process or a sin or a rebellion. And then repent of it. And that's just as easy as saying, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry for what I said, did, thought. And I want a new way to think. Renew my mind. So, Father, would you do that right now? Renew our minds so that we can become more like you. I just see him you know, a pocket of light is like a, a lighthouse. And in a lighthouse, they have to polish, they used to have to polish the, win the mirrors and the windows so that the light would shine brightly. And when we get rid of those things, he's polishing us so that we can shine brightly in this world. Thank you for that, Jesus. Amen.